0: Running. We have a Good evening, welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750, WSB 9 after the hour, the phone number 404-872-0750, wsb talk I want to begin with Barbara Bush, uh, before we get into the North Korean news or, or anything else, um, I, I, I want to begin With Barbara Bush, the very first time I ever met her was actually here in Atlanta at the Crown Plaza Ravinia back in 1999. I think 2000. Um, It might have been 2000, but I think it was was 1999. George W. Bush, uh, beginning his run for the presidency, uh, was sending his parents out around the country to try to rally grassroots support for him. Over John McCain, uh, McCain was running uh, as a, a- anti dynasty candidate, uh, so to speak. He was really pushing the issue that um, that we that we've already had the Bushes. It's time to move on to someone else. Uh, I was not a big fan of John McCain's. Um, never have really been a fan of John McCain's, and was eager to support George W. Bush against him. Uh, if Bush was going to be the guy. There were other candidates running. Um, None of them seemed super viable at the time. But uh, So George and Barbara were at the Crown Plaza Plaza Ravinia. I had been the chairman of the College Republicans in the state uh, and was still involved in party politics here and got asked to go and got to meet them. And they were both of them just down to earth. I mean, this is a a former president, former vice president, former CIA director, former ambassador to China, former head of the Republican National Committee, former congressman, uh, and just as as nice as they could be. Um, And she was just charming. And I met them again um, after George W. Bush had left office. Barack Obama was president. I was in Houston and got to spend a little bit more time with them. And she's just a delightful person. It is so sad. Uh, it, you know, I realize everybody dies, but there are some people you just think are going to live forever. And she was like America's grandmother. And she had the the, the biting wit. Uh, I, I think about Barbara Bush. I was thinking about this last night and wrote about it this morning, that C.S. Lewis has the book Mere Christianity, and he, he spends a bit of time delicately explaining why does the Bible put the man in charge of the household? And one of the things he says that I I think is so apt on uh, thinking of Barbara Bush is that the man is the head of the household to protect the outside world from the family patriotism of the wife. (laughs) The man is the head of the household to protect the outside world from the family patriotism of the wife. Uh, And and you all, uh, I'm sure, get immediately what Lewis was talking about in that passage that, I mean, we use the phrase mama bear to talk about mothers in many cases. And Barbara Bush was it fiercely loyal to the Bushes. Um, She was the, the driving force behind the scenes. And, I mean, she kept grudges, she held grudges, she kept lists in her head of people who supported the family, betrayed the family, didn't support the family, and and decades later could still recite those people and what they had done for or against the family. She was a brilliant person in her own right, and I think it's fascinating to listen to all the anecdotes today about Wellesley College graduates who protested her speaking there. In the early '90s, when she was first lady, and just she gave them a, a humdinger of a speech, and basically said, "You may think I've done nothing, but I'm I'm married to a president. I'm the I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I I've raised a family of very successful people, and you may one day regret not having spent time with your family, and I won't have those regrets." It was a fascinating speech. Uh, they just don't make them like Barbara Bush anymore. She's a fascinating person. And, of course, there are people exposing themselves as awful today because of her death. So there's a a professor at Fresno State. I can't remember the woman's name. It's not important. She has fewer than 6,000 followers on on Twitter, but a verified account because she's a tenured professor at Fresno State. And she went on a tirade on Twitter last night, uh, championing and cheering on the death of Barbara Bush as a racist bigot uh, whose husband destroyed her country uh, in the Middle East and Barbara Bush would burn in hell and on and on and on and on. And I got news for her. Barbara Bush was a believer and she is not. So role reversal, but nonetheless. She she also gave people her phone number, people who were attacking her for her, uh, for her savageness towards Barbara Bush, and she put out her personal phone number for them to call her, and it turned out to be a suicide support helpline in Arizona that was overrun by people calling this woman. And so she is now getting herself in all sorts of trouble for having done that, um, but also claiming she has tenure, so there's nothing they can do. But what I really find fascinating is is a lot of the media is circulating a piece about Barbara Bush today that came out in The Atlantic, and oh, it's just, it's such a good piece. It's so wise. What it is, is a piece by some historian who is gay and visited with the family, and Barbara Bush, apparently, he convinced her that people who are transgendered are born that way. And you see, Barbara Bush, unlike those other bigots in the Republican Party, she evolved with the times. Barbara Bush was so open-minded and tolerant of people not like her. She had someone on her weight staff in her home who was gay. And she didn't like that people celebrated transgenderism. But she came to understand. She sent a note to the guy I was with at her house, saying how much I had changed her views, even at 90, she could learn. And don't you wish you were like Barbara Bush instead of being a bigoted living Republican? This is what they do to every Republican who dies. I was listening to a buddy of mine, Sonny Bunch, make this statement. And he's so right that uh, when Republicans die, the left immediately uses them as bludgeons against the living Republicans. And the only Democrat who can ever be attacked is one who's dead. Uh, once a Democrat is dead, he's no longer useful to advancing the progressive cause. But once a Republican is dead, they become suddenly very useful. Did you know, Barbara Bush, she supported abortion rights and gun control? <gasps> yeah, I mean, that's, those are the stories that the left are running today about her. It is amazing how they seize every problem. This will happen to Donald Trump, too. You know, when Donald Trump is, is gone he will suddenly be a popular Republican. Democrats will use Donald Trump and say, oh, we thought that guy was horrible, but oh, he's not this guy. It's really rather pathetic, but it's what the left does, trying to co-opt history that they otherwise have no use for. What I will tell you about Barbara Bush is this. Barbara Bush was the wife of a president the mother of a president, the mother of two governors, and behind the scenes, she kept the household running. She believed in civil rights, and in the 60s, wouldn't stay at hotels as they drove across the country that didn't have integration. She was a force to be reckoned with and a very kind and witty soul until the end. And honestly, the people I know who are in the Bush family orbit are actually more shocked and startled... Largely because they are, well, they're really, they were expecting that President Bush would predecease her um, because his health has been so bad. And so it came as a shock to them that she died first. And it is a sad thing. I mean, this was a great woman, a great, great woman who really behind the scenes helped shape American life for a generation. Um, She was a vice presidential wife for eight years, a president's wife for four, a president's mother for eight, uh, and was a force to be reckoned with. And she didn't need to be out front at the podium. She was perfectly content to being behind the scenes shaping American public policy. And in a me, 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 look at me age, like that professor who decided to attack her, uh, she shines more brightly. God bless her and her family. Let me stop for just a minute and promote one of our sponsors. Thanks to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring this week's show. And, you know, I was actually one of the original members of Dollar Shave Club. Back in the day, I was a lawyer when they came out. They had that awesome ad, and I totally bought into it because I was tired of paying for my razors um, at the grocery store price. It is a great company, and the razors are very, very solid. You go to dollarshaveclub.com, and you can see they got more than just razors, and it's so much better than shop. In a grocery store. And you know, so I got they sent me a packet before this promo began as if I needed them because I got some. Um, but they got a great razor and they've got great shave cream, they've got a body cleanser, they even have the one wipe Charlie's. I'll let you decide whether or not you like them or not. But you know, it's a great, it's a great product. Uh, really, really do like it. Uh their Dr. Carver shave butter is fantastic. And given that I am prone to rashes and whatnot, I only shave every other day because of it. I'm sure sure you wanted to know that. Um, But it actually works and I don't break out. Uh So I highly do recommend Dollar Shave Club. I have been a Dollar Shave Club member for, well, gosh, I was a lawyer. It's been a long time since I've, used, how long have they been? Around? I don't know. Anyway, they've been around forever. Um Solid, solid company. Great people. Great idea too. They were the first. You got all these other competitors out there and they were the first to come out and say, you know what? We can beat the other guy. So a great innovator. You can clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, one-wipe Charlies. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Way cheaper than what you'll get at the grocery store, by the way. Get yours at DollarShaveClub.com Eric, E-R-I-C-K. That's DollarShaveClub.com Eric. It's me, and I came within inches of starting to talk without pushing the microphone button back on. (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. We do have to talk about North Korea. Uh, We will talk about that when we come back. Uh, Big news. Before we get there, though, this is important, I think. Um, There is a poll out, a Quinnipiac poll that has Robert, Bob, Rob, Beto, O'Rourke, whatever, within three points of Ted Cruz. Don't Believe the I realize it's Quinnipiac and they tend to be credible, um, but they're not Texas pollsters. And the way they divided up the demographics in Texas really, really, really makes it look like um, they didn't quite do what they should have done. So in any event, I wouldn't put too much stock in it. Um, to the phones we go right now. Chris in Ackworth. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, just something you mentioned that I wanted to... Just say thank you for and then also maybe we should just continue to call it out more to expose the darkness or whatever you want to say of the left is how when things like this attract you know it's necessarily a huge tragedy because everybody as you say passes away but you know Barbara Bush passes away and you hear people on the left praising it as it's a good thing you saw Trump's uh, Trump Tower catch on fire you saw people from the left saying right. it was a good thing you hear uh, um, you know, when the, the, the shooting happened at the baseball field and, mm-hmm. and Republicans, excuse me, uh, people on the left were saying how it's a good thing that, you know, Republicans died. And even, even uh, elected officials right. making cracking jokes about uh, Trump being shot. My only point is I think that, you know, what can we do to that about that? Nothing except for expose them and call it out and retweet or repost or whenever you see a post or something like that shame them essentially uh, expose their bad behavior chris thanks very much for the phone call yeah and and, you know like like the professor in in um california i just wouldn't retweet her i just called her out without doing it because i don't want to give her even more exposure why hello there it is 39 after the hour the new york times has an op-ed out this afternoon The Forrest Trump presidency, which plays off my Safeway walk with a member of Congress last week. Oh my goodness, we're not going to talk about that, though. We're going to talk about North Korea. It appears that Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, nominee to be Secretary of State, went to North Korea over Easter weekend and had high-level talks with the North Koreans, including with the North Korean leader in order to set the groundwork for the meeting between, um, between Trump and Kim Jong-un. Uh, at the same time, the North Korean leader is signaling he wants to bring to a conclusion the Korean War. Now, you may not know this, but the Korean War is technically still going on. There was a truce in the 1950s, but they never actually signed a, a treaty to end the war, a peace treaty to end the war. So it's technically still been going on. They now apparently want to wind that down. I've got to tell you guys, and I do feel very strongly about this, that we would not be at this point but for having Donald Trump as president, and it is to his credit. The last three presidents, Clinton, Bush, and Obama— would routinely pay off the North Koreans when they would saber-rattle, threaten nuclear holocaust, and otherwise behave badly. This was the signal that the North Koreans needed money and needed food, and we would oblige them. And I, I think that was bad, and I think it encouraged that behavior, and hey, new president, the last three have done this, let's do it with this guy. And President Trump had to disabuse North Korea of the notion that he was your typical American president, gladly willing to pay them off during the shakedown. And he did. It was quite effective. Um, Everyone has freaked out about it. Everybody has freaked out about it. And I think it worked. Suddenly the president of the United States is going to meet with the leader of North Korea and they want to have peace talks with South Korea on formally ending their war. Now, there is another aspect of this as well, and China now has a dictator for life, a a ruthless communist uh, who no one should be praising, but he would very much like to see the American military leave uh, Asia, and he believes that the American military in Korea would go home if there was a formal peace, uh, because he would like to stretch China's legs without stepping on Americans, possibly causing an international incident, so he's been pushing this too. And suddenly the North Koreans realize, oh, China wants me to do this, and I can't shake down the American president anymore. I guess I better do something. Y'all, we would not be to this point without the president of the United States being Donald Trump. And I know it pains many people on the left and some on the right to give Donald Trump credit for anything. But I think he deserves credit for this. I do not believe we would be at this point... If George Bush, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama were president, because all of them were willing to go along with the shakedown scheme for North Korea to be left alone so that they could focus on other things. Donald Trump perfectly willing to push back. And he did. And so now they want to come up with a new solution. That's a good thing. OK, I'm switching gears to a local story here that just I mean, I, this is a uh, WSB TV has this story. And of course, it involves uh, Clayton County Sheriff Victor Hill. He claims to be running the toughest jail around, but he's allowing a company called Outside Inside Connection to essentially serve as Uber Eats for the jail in Clayton County. Now, for those of you who don't know what Uber Eats is, if you're in the metro Atlanta area, I've got it on my phone. If I'm in the office or something, uh, there are several of them, Uber Eats, uh, Grubhub, several others, where you can uh, pull up your location. It'll show you the restaurants in the area that are willing to deliver you food, and your Uber, an Uber driver or someone will go pick up the food and bring it to you for a fee. And it is really handy. If you're stuck in the office, you, you don't want to eat out of the vending machines, you want something good to eat, well... Here's the service that does it. Well, this is kind of like that, an Uber-style service for meals for the jail. Jalapeno burgers, beefy nachos, Philly cheesesteaks. And some of the visitors to the jail, they use it for their families. But a former inmate says it's not always reliable. You pay for it and you don't get it. They go and tell you they're going to go get the food, and they never bring it back. So some of the inmates are being ripped off by this to begin with. But should they not be eating prison slop? They're in prison. I mean, one of the people, this is a quote from one of the people, they're still human. Why do they have to eat slop? Because they're in jail. That's why they have to eat prison slop. It's called punishment. We're not there to tickle them and give them sensual massages. No. We're there to punish them. It's called prison. They did something wrong. They broke a law. They should not be getting Uber Eats or a competitor to show up and deliver the meal. The only real part and aspect of this, this punishment is apparently the company doesn't show up sometimes after receiving money, according to former inmates. But y'all, this is ridiculous. To have a, a, a meal delivery service for prisoners. No, they're prisoners eat the garbage in the prison it's not supposed to be good because they're in prison my goodness gracious i i just i i to say you run the toughest jail in the place and you're allowing a food delivery service it's just utter garbage 55 after the hour. Yeah, I'm trying not to, oh, not to break down in sobbing tears over some of these these Barbara Bush stories that are trickling out. My goodness. Um, There is news at this hour, at this time, at 5.55 p.m. on this Wednesday, the 18th of April. Uh, Karen McDougal has been released... Uh, from her contract with American media, Uh, who is Karen McDougal. She's the other playboy playmate who claims to have had a relationship with Donald Trump while Melania Trump was pregnant with their son, Barron. And uh, she filed a lawsuit uh, with American media, the National Enquirer's parent company, which had basically... Um, paid her some money for an exclusive in perpetuity, meaning that she gave them the story and she couldn't give it to anyone else, and then they didn't run it. And there is ongoing evidence that they did this for Donald Trump and other friends of the publisher, where they would buy up stories with exclusive contracts and then not run them to protect the friends of the National Enquirer. Well, she sued them, and as part of the settlement, which they have now settled, she is allowed to tell her story, and I suspect we'll be hearing a lot about this in the coming days, just because there are so many more important things in the world, but the media would rather focus on stuff like this, which is actually rather frustrating when you think about it, particularly with the North Korean situation. Now, when we come back, we do have more news to get into, including Mitch McConnell supposedly blocking the Senate for protecting Bob Mueller. We have a it's 10 After the Hour. I'm Eric Erikson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. There are a number of stories circulating. It was actually a, a top story on the Dredge Report. Big headline story this morning. Uh, Mitch McConnell has squashed the legislation. To protect Bob Mueller's investigation, Uh, Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina and several other Republicans have proposed a piece of legislation that would um, prevent the president from being able to fire Bob Mueller. It has bipartisan support. There may be the votes for it in the House of Representatives. We don't know. There are not not two-thirds votes. They couldn't sustain a presidential veto. Uh, But it looked like it could have passed the Senate. and, And Mitch McConnell said, nope. Not going to happen as long as I'm Senate leader. This will not come to the floor. I won't allow it. And that's how reporters reported it. Y'all, I realize a lot of reporters think you're stupid. But a lot of reporters are stupid and actually are stupid. Um, this story isn't true. And it's been headlines, it's made the national news, Uh, they've been talking about it. This story isn't true. Mitch McConnell is one of 100 senators, and Senate rules do not allow one senator to block legislation. Under Senate rules, the only reason, uh, the only significance of the majority leader is when two senators get up to speak at the same time, and one of them is the leader of the majority party within the Senate, he gets deference. And they allow him the deference of setting the flow of legislation to the floor of the Senate. But any senator— at any time, can make a motion to proceed to debate on any piece of legislation. Any senator can do it. And any senator, when they are debating another piece of legislation, can make a motion to amend the thing they're debating by adding something else. And in the Senate, it doesn't have to be germane. That means that uh, it doesn't have to be related. So you could take, for example, uh, legislation naming a post office in Dubuque and amend it to include um, the legislation to protect Bob Mueller. And under the Senate rules, that is perfectly allowed. This story depends on your ignorance and the willful ignorance of reporters who should know better to thrive. So, here's the thing. McConnell is doing this because he's not up for reelection in 2018, and there are Republicans who are. And those Republicans would be asked their position on the Mueller legislation and McConnell is trying to protect them from being asked the difficult question. So as long as you are ignorant and reporters play ignorant of the Senate rules, McConnell gets away with it. McConnell gets to be the bad guy. And the reality is that a majority of the Republicans in the Senate do not want this legislation to pass. Now you probably don't want it to pass either. I know a lot of you are ready for Mueller to be fired and that's fine. But I am so tired of the media willfully reporting nonsense and reporting it because they know you don't understand the situation. And if nothing else, I am here to educate you on the situation. But here's the thing that you need to understand as well. Democrats in the Senate could advance the legislation again. Under the rules of the Senate, all the senators are equal. The only deference given to the majority leader and the minority leader are by virtue of their parties. The actual most powerful person in the Senate is the vice president of the United States when he chooses to be there and when he's not the president pro tem of the Senate who runs the show and can be overruled. Even he can be overruled. But they run these stories because you don't know better. And no one of you, not a single person listening to this program, unless you're a parliamentarian for the Senate, can be expected to know the rules of the Senate. They are arcane. But I happen to know one of my very best friends, who's actually a UGA grad, uh, has a PhD and is an expert on Senate procedure. And he and I were talking about this yesterday, and then I called him up this morning and we're talking about him just, just to get clarity. And he's like, nope, you, you McConnell can't block this legislation. What's actually going on here is that Republicans want you to believe McConnell can block it because Republicans don't want to have to take a position on it. But that you should also understand Democrats don't want to take a position on it either. See, Democrats want the issue out there festering. Democrats are afraid it might pass. And if the legislation were to pass and the president to veto it, well... You know, you got a different fight on your hands, but what if it actually passed and the president signed the law? Then suddenly all the Democrats' grievances for 2018 go out the window. What's really going on here is that both parties in Washington, D.C. would rather fight these things out at the ballot box in an election year than actually try to tackle them. And then they'd like to complain about gridlock and and partisanship. Can I just tell you guys, and I know I'm a bit of a broken record on this program for saying it, But gridlock is actually a feature, not a bug of our system. And I have seen a growth of stories in the last several weeks of partisans lamenting the gridlock in Washington. You can't get anything done. By virtue of design, our founders were way wiser than any of us. And they understood that if you made it really easy to pass laws in Washington, they would start rounding up our rights. And they wanted it to be very difficult to do that. They wanted it to be very difficult to pass anything meaningful. When you think about the major legislation that's been passed in the last decade, with the exception of when the Democrats controlled everything or when the Republicans controlled everything, the major legislation came about typically because of national crises, financial, national security, or otherwise. And it's by design. This is the way the system is supposed to work. We already have enough laws in Washington, D.C. It is fitting that it has become more and more difficult to pass laws in Washington, D.C. over time because we don't really need any more laws in Washington, D.C. The states are the laboratories of democracy, and in many cases, they can pass the laws. We don't need Congress to pass the laws. And all this kabuki theater in Washington say, oh, it's all Mitch McConnell's fault, we can't get anything done, he's blocking everything. It's actually not true. It's not true under the rules or the precedents of the Senate that that is true. Any senator tomorrow, including Tom Tillis, the sponsor of the legislation, could go to the floor of the Senate and make a motion to proceed, and if a majority agreed, they would proceed. But see, even Tom Tillis, he doesn't want to run afoul of his party. He doesn't want to put his Republican colleagues in awkward positions in the run-ups to the midterm election. So he's not doing it even though he has the power to do it. And instead they're running to the press saying, oh, we actually can't do this. Mitch McConnell's blocking it. That is simply not true. Let me stop for just a minute and promote one of our sponsors. Thanks to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring this week's show. And, you know, I was actually one of the original members of Dollar Shave Club. Back in the day, I was a lawyer when they came out. They had that awesome ad, and I totally bought into it because I was tired of paying for my razors um, at the grocery store price. It is a great company, and the razors are very, very solid. You go to dollarshaveclub.com, and you can see they got more than just razors, and it's so much better than shop. And in a grocery store, and you know, so I got they sent me a packet before this promo began, as if I needed them because I got some. Um, but they got a great razor, and they've got great shave cream. They've got a body cleanser. They even have the one wipe, Charlie's. I'll let you decide whether or not you like them or not. But you know, it's a great, it's a great product. Uh, really, really do like it. Uh, their Dr. Carver shave butter is fantastic, and given that I am prone to rashes and whatnot, I only shave every other day because of it. I'm sure you wanted to know that um but it actually works and I don't break out uh, so I highly do recommend dollar shave club I have been a dollar shave club member for well gosh I was a lawyer it's been a long time since I've you how long have they been around? i don't know anyway they've been around forever um solid solid company great people great idea too they were the first you got all these other competitors out there and they were the first to come out and say you know what we can beat the other guys so a great innovator. You can clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, one-wipe Charlies. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month, way cheaper than what you'll get at the grocery store, by the way. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com Eric, E-R-I-C-K. That's dollarshaveclub.com Eric. It's 25 after the hour, Eric Erickson here, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK And yep, the lines are open now. Y'all, we should give the Republicans a round of applause, shouldn't we? Yay, they're so smart, yay! What did they do? Well, they're still funding Planned Parenthood which is going to spend $30 million to defeat Republicans this year. You got that? The, the Planned Parenthood's um, political action group is going to spend $30 million minimum. That's what they've allotted thus far, $30 million to win the House of Representatives and Senate for the Democrats. And every dollar they are spending, because money is fungible, every dollar they are spending is offset by the millions of dollars the Republicans in Congress are sending Planned Parenthood. Because by the Republicans in Congress sending Planned Parenthood millions of dollars to fund all of their other services, the money Planned Parenthood would have used to fund those services can now flow over to their campaign war chest and beat the Republicans. I mean, they deserve it if they're going to be that stupid to continue to fund a Democratic outfit. I mean, th- this is this is what the GOP deserves. If they're going to be that stupid, um, they deserve to be beaten with their own money, essentially, with your tax dollars, essentially. I mean, they should never... They've promised over and over and over and over and over that they would not fund Planned Parenthood, and yet they have... And now Planned Parenthood is going to use that money to try to give the Democrats the House and the Senate. Somewhat fitting, if you ask me. It is. Oh, and uh, we need to talk about the poop train. Y'all may have some relatives in the area. The poop train from New York City. I feel bad for this town. There is a town in Alabama. Parish, Alabama. Population 982. And a train has been making its way down south from New York City hauling poop. It is essentially New York has too much, uh, too little sewage capacity. So they are shipping it by train to some dump uh, somewhere in South Carolina. And the train has now stopped in this town. And they, they won't move forward. So this poop train is stuck in this poor Alabama town. A bunch of Yankee poop in South Alabama. Hello. I'm back. It's 39 after the hour. The phone number is 404 750 wsb Let's return to the phone, shall we? Alicia in Atlanta, you are up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Great to talk to you. Thanks. Listen, I am so disappointed in Neil Gorsuch's um, decision to side with the liberals in regards to the immigration case. Have you heard anything um, from Washington, like, Trump's reaction or the Republican reaction. Uh, he apparently was disappointed. I've got to tell you though, I've read his concurrence, mm-hmm. and I'm not upset with him for his reasoning because, really? yeah. So here's here's his reasoning. Let, let, let me see okay. if I can explain this. to you? And, and you don't okay. have to agree with me, but but let me explain okay. his reasoning, his concurrence. It mm-hmm. is that the law as written led judges substitute their own whims for what Congress thought they should do. Essentially, instead of Congress laying out, here's the type of people you deport— the mm-hmm. law essentially let judges decide. okay. And, and he said that he doesn't agree with the liberals on the court who he was siding with who okay. think that no one should be deported if they're a violent felon. And that was essentially their position. What okay. he is saying is that Congress too often tells judges and bureaucrats, you know what, we don't want to have to deal with deciding this. You guys decide with it. And he says that's Congress's primary job. And okay. if they abdicate their role to unelected judges and bureaucrats, then suddenly we're not a nation of laws we're a nation of bureaucrats and that's unacceptable okay oh well I feel a little bit better. (laughs) Well, so, you know, it's interesting. The Cato Institute, which is the big libertarian think tank in Washington. Right. uh, They released a statement today and said that this long term, his decision, his concurrence will pay dividends for individuals if he can get the conservatives to go along with it. Because his entire point is that the Supreme Court has to stop allowing Congress to empower judges to use their own discretion in how to hand out rights and liberties. Well, I concur then. Yeah, I mean, I I, listen, I read his concurrence because I was dumbfounded. Why on earth would this guy side with these liberals? And he made it very clear in in the very first page of his concurring decision. He said, I don't agree with them on why they want to do with this, but I have to agree with them that this law allows judges way too much discretion. And the problem is that they want even more discretion and they don't want um, people to be deported. And his he even says in his decision, he is perfectly happy to deport all illegal aliens in the country, okay. but he just wants Congress to tell us to do it, not say, hey, liberal judge in California, you decide. Oh, well, I agree with that totally. Oh, I feel so much better, Eric. Thank you for that explanation. And real quick, I hope your wife is doing well. Oh, you know what? God Keep bringing your prayers. You your so family. we have our next round of scans on Tuesday, and I'm at the I'm at the stress-breaking point this week because we've oh, got boy. the run-up to having Tuesday, and every oh, time we get to this point, I get a little apprehensive. Of course you do. Well, I'll say some prayers for you and your wife and your family. Thank you so much, Alicia. Thanks very much Alrighty. for the phone call. Bye-bye. Yep. So, folks, this was the decision yesterday with Gorsuch, and I've got some friends who are very upset with him because their big issue is immigration. My, my big issue is not immigration. My big issue is individual liberty. And I've been, if you've been a listener of this program since 2011, you have heard me say over and over, Congress keeps abdicating its powers to the unelected. So Congress can say, it wasn't us, it was them. And, oh, by the way, you can't do anything about it because they're unelected. And that was Gorsuch's entire concurrence was Congress cannot keep doing this. That must be considered unconscionable constitutional for Congress to let the bureaucrats and the unelected judges set the standards that a democracy requires elected officials set. I thought it was a huge win for personal liberty myself. Uh, and I realize some disagree because they really wanted these people deported. But even Gorsuch said he's perfectly f- happy deporting these people. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with Congress abandoning Congress's role, giving it to an unelected person to do. Y'all, you know, I have not been to SunTrust Park yet. I have not been to a Braves game since the park opened and I need to remedy that this year. I do. I feel bad about it. I've had friends who have gone over there to have dinner and stuff even, and they, they love the area, uh, love the, in fact, I, I've had one friend of mine, maybe it was Charlie. I can't remember. Somebody described it as the entire park is absolutely designed to distract you from the baseball game. <laughs> I I mean, I would like to go see the baseball game, but I haven't even been into the whole facility over there. I I've got to remedy this this year. Um, but, you know, I just I just have this nagging suspicion that the Braves owners aren't fully invested in the team. Part of me really wishes that Ted Turner still owned the Braves. Because, you know, he was, Turner, for all of his faults, and he had many, I'd, still, I'd, I'd totally love to interview that guy sometime. I would just love to hang out with him and pick his brain. We would disagree on almost everything, but I would still love to actually meet Ted Turner and, and chat with him. But he was a fan. He loved the Braves. Uh, he really liked the Braves, and and the team thrived under under Ted Turner. And I just don't know that an abstract Corporation is as committed to the Braves winning as a fan who owned the team it was. Kind of like the Ricketts in Chicago, uh, the Ricketts family. They're friends of mine. They they own the they own the Cubs now. Um, And they own the Cubs. The dad owns the Cubs largely because his kids were huge baseball fans. When the team was up for sale, they really wanted the team. They grew up cheering the Cubs. And so they bought the Cubs. And and so they took care and have taken care of the team as fans of the Cubs and really turned the Cubs around. And I love it because I actually grew up a Cubs fan. I didn't grow up a Braves fan. And so it's awesome. Um, But, yeah, there's something to be said for rich fans buying the teams. and. Ted Turner, owner of the Braves. All that to say, I still need to go see a game. Hello there. 54 after the hour, the president uh, giving a, a press conference with the prime minister of Japan right now. Um. Noting right now, he was asked a question about firing Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein and says they're still here. (laughs) You know, this is part of my thing with Comey. You know, James Comey is still going out on his little press tour or whatnot. And um, he's really, he's not making a big wave. It's, It's all of Comey's press is dependent on what Donald Trump says about him. And I think the president has finally realized this and he stopped trying to blow up James Comey on social media, uh, which then, of course, uh, obligates the media zealously to reach out and say, oh, James, what do you think about the president? If the president's not mentioning him, there's nothing to do. So, I, I mean, I I hope the president of uh, the press conference just ended. I, I hope the president realizes this and uh, the president stops mentioning James Comey. I think you should stop mentioning James Comey uh, and, and let Comey fizzle. You know, again, it's so preposterous, the James Comey story, and the media It just it wants to dance around the fact that James Comey was the FBI director. James Comey had all of the stuff that he supposedly knew, all the classified stuff. And based on James Comey's knowledge of the events, James Comey's knowledge of the Russian collusion, James Comey's knowledge of everything, James Comey does not think the President of the United States should be impeached. Now, that should tell you a great deal about this whole Russian collusion investigation. There is no there there. It is just liberal fan fiction designed to distract from the fact that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate who let her campaign manager, Robbie Mook, run a terrible campaign by not listening to one of the most successful politicians in American history, a guy named Bill Clinton. They completely ignored all of his advice, deciding he was out of touch. And had they listened, they might have won, because he was telling them pay attention to blue-collar voters and go to Wisconsin, the two things that they refused to do. So we got to blame something other than that. So let's blame the Russians and James Comey.